Amen. All right. So again, we are beginning our series that we are calling You In. And uh, it's basically about who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Have you wondered who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven? Is that important information to deal with, important stuff to talk about and try to figure this out? Um, one of the things that I think is a pretty significant and a little bit scary thing is in our culture, in the Christian culture today, it's pretty easy to go to church and go to hell at the same time. And that's a concern. If you can go to church for years and years and still go to hell, <laughs> that is very, very bad. Very, very bad. When I first became a Christian, I came from, from a non-Christian background, and it was just so huge on my heart that people come to know the Lord and, and have eternal life, because I just think it's, it's terrible that people don't know God and that they, they lose the wonderful opportunity, and instead of the wonderful opportunity for eternal life, something really, really bad happens. And that's just not good. It's not good at all. What we want is for people to be able to receive the power of God. So we are going to pray over this series and over the sermon today. We're going to believe God for clarity and for purpose and for nobody in this room to be in danger of the fires of hell. Amen. Why should any of us be in danger? There's no reason. No reason. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Holy Scriptures. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You, Father, that You don't leave us here as orphans, but You guide us by Your Word and You guide us by Your Spirit. Help us today. Help us connect with You. Help us to know the strength of our salvation and help us to know how to walk in Your ways. Bless our time today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Did you know it is estimated that about 15% of clergy in the United States, Christian clergy, do not believe in God? Approximately 15% of Christian clergy members do not believe in God. Is that a problem? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm. That is a problem. That is a big concern. That is a very, very big concern. I personally have read five testimonials uh, from anonymous clergy members who were still in the ministry who confessed to not believing in God. And it was interesting to read those uh, testimonials. Um, some of them were people who believed when they started. They believed in God and they fought the fight and they just got drugged down so bad they couldn't, they just, they wore out and they lost their faith and they were no longer able to believe. But they didn't have any other skills and they're only a few years away from retirement, so why not wait it out? There were others who never believed in God in the first place, but they believed in believing. They believed in having purpose. It didn't really matter what it is, you know, a very postmodern perspective of, well, hey, whatever gets you going, you got to have something to get you going, because otherwise, what's the point? And so, and they liked being in front and talking to people, so they just, they went into the ministry. Isn't that completely bizarre? Now, let me say, if 15% 
of clergy members are clearly not saved, what about everybody else who calls themselves a Christian? Is it possible that there might be a few people who call themselves Christians and they actually aren't? They think they're going to heaven, but they're actually not. Is that possible? The Scriptures, and we'll cover as the series goes on, there are examples in the Scriptures of people who are shocked that they're not in. That they're like, what? Wait a minute, I thought I was in. And Jesus says, no. Get away. To be surprised, to know what's coming, to have a plan and have that plan not work, is a serious problem. And so I want Good Hope Church to be a church that does not make it easy for anyone to go to hell. Absolutely difficult for anyone who's here. And I want to make it hard for people who aren't here. Amen? Because it's no good. Hell is bad. It's designed for the devil. It's not meant for people. We're meant to live forever. We're built that way. Have you ever noticed when somebody dies, it seems wrong? Even if they were old? You know why that is? Because we're meant to live forever. God created us with an eternal purpose. We can sense it's just not right. We were meant for something more. And what an incredible tragedy that people miss it. In fact, people take eternal life for granted in our culture. There are people who do not believe in God. And if you tell them, well, if you don't believe in God, you're not going to heaven, they get offended. How does that work? We take eternal life for granted. Like it's something we deserve. And if anybody were to question whether or not I'm going to live forever in the paradise of God, that then if they were to question that, that's out of bounds. Well, you know what? Let's find out if we're actually in. We need to know. We need to not fiddle around with this and have cute little ideas and that sort of a deal and end up actually on the outside. Because I think in today's culture, it's actually fairly easy to go to church and go to hell at the same time. Now, this goes both ways. Have you guys familiar with high church and low church? Familiar with what that means? High church is the very liturgical, you got the robes, you got the candles, you got the, all the stuff in the pomp and circumstances and all that stuff. That's high church. It's very formal. And then there's low church, which is us. I don't think, we probably didn't come up with the terminology. I think the other people did. But anyway, um, we're the casual ones, you know, we're the show up in your jeans and hang out and Jesus loves you and, and let's get a hug, but we're not, we're not doing, we're doing it pretty casual. We're not doing it super, super ritualistic. Now, both of those I think are dangerous because in the ritual, you can think, oh, I did the ritual that appeases God. I'm good. And that's dangerous because he wants relationship. It's not about doing some ritual and making God happy with you. you. You want to connect with God and walk with God. And ritual doesn't necessarily do that. Now, I am firmly convinced that 
in all denominations, in all Christian groups, if you cry out to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, what happens? Your sins are forgiven. If you endeavor to follow Christ and do right by what you know, doesn't matter what denomination, what group you're in, God will honor that. So it's not about us trying to find the little detail that's going to get us to heaven and everybody else is out. You understand? (laughs) It's about being honest with what you know to do and going forward with that. And so the ritual thing can get not so great because you think, well, I did that ritual, so I'm good, right? Now I can do whatever. I don't need a real relationship with God. I did this little thing. On our side... We just want to give you a hug, right? Let you know Jesus loves you and it's all good. Jesus loves you. Jesus really just, he's a super nice guy. He's very friendly and he wants you in. And the fact of the matter is, until you go in, you're not in. But we just, we just think Jesus is all cuddly and nice. And so people aren't motivated to do what it takes to get in. They think, well, you know, God's going to love me no matter what. You know, and we sing certain songs that sort of indicate that uh, we can kind of trample on Jesus and He still has to take us no matter what. Well, don't, don't get confused by that. Absolutely, God will accept you whatever goofy stuff you've done. If you've walked with God and ran away, today you can come back. Amen? But if you've walked with God and ran away, where are you? You are away. That's not good. Away is bad. With is good. So we tend to take God lightly. You ever gone to Catholic church? I worked in a group home and I went to Catholic church. Never been Catholic. This was 20 years ago. I don't remember. A long time ago. And one of the ladies in the group home goes to Catholic church. So I took her to Catholic church. And I thought to myself, these people have reverence for God down. They are good at that. The buildings have, you don't even have to start the service. You walk in there and you're like, oh, you know, it's just impressive. We've got Jesus loves you down. But you know, we need both. We need Jesus loves you and we need, wow, you are so awesome. We need both. All right. Does everybody go to heaven? Do most people go to heaven? Is it 50-50? Let's find out what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 7. He's talking to the masses. He's talking to the groups of people that are following Him around. And He says this, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He is telling the people, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, how's that? (laughs) Unless you're in a group that's on the narrow road. But for most people... Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. So according to Jesus, is it 50-50? No, it seems to be the minority position finds life. That finding life is elusive. 
that it's, it's not something that you can just assume for everyone. In fact, you can assume the opposite. That for most, the road leads to destruction. Now, I think we should do absolutely everything in our power to get as many people to heaven as we can. Amen? The first thing we can do in our power is submit to Christ. Amen? (laughs) Instead of picking it up ourselves, we submit to the Lord and say, you know, your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is, is what we're looking for, not by my might nor by my power, but by your spirit. Let's get some stuff done. First thing we do is submit to God. But I think we need to be about seeing people go to heaven and avoid destruction. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how that works. And on our way there, let me ask you this question. Is Jesus talking about the present life or the afterlife in these two verses? Both. It's both. One of the things that we do, again, in our culture, is we want to separate out our lives here. That's one thing. And then we want to have the afterlife over here. And we want to do this for ourselves and find a loophole so we can get into that. Right? Well, I did the ritual, so I'm good. Well, that church was real nice to me. I I figured I was in, (laughs) right? I said the little prayer that dude told me to say, right? I'm good, right? It's very important to understand that Jesus isn't describing two completely different things in this life here and the afterlife. It's that we walk with God in this life and we walk with God in the next. We do both. He's talking about both. Those lives, the life now, the, uh, the life, abundant life in John 10.10, 10, this fullness of life, it's the life here today. Our life with God here and our expectation of the afterlife are intertwined. They work together. They're connected. Some people have separated out our lives here with the afterlife so much that they would even say that it doesn't even matter how you live on this earth. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fail. So, We just need to get forgiven and then you go to heaven. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to give you my catchphrase for the day to explain how this works. Because it seems like so many people get fixated. You know, they they miss the forest for the trees. They get this detail, but they miss the point. Here's the point. The point is, if we live in the kingdom now, we can live in the kingdom later. If we refuse the kingdom now, we have given up the kingdom later. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, 
He's praying. He's teaching the people how to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Where is this kingdom supposed to come? Here. We are to live in the kingdom now. We are to operate in ways that are consistent with heaven now. Do people lie about each other in heaven? No, we shouldn't do that here. Do people hold grudges in heaven? No, we shouldn't do that here. Do people kill each other in heaven? No, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't murder here. I had somebody who was in the military ask me, you know, I've killed people. Am I in trouble? Like, well, that's a tough environment to be in. And I, I, I believe the accurate translation is, thou shalt not murder. That's different. Wartime is a mess. You know, this world is goofed up. There is no longer the perfect right thing to do. So one of the things that, that people think is that there is the perfect right thing to do. Well, guess what? We're in the middle of this mess. We're going to try to do the best we can. But to say, I am doing the perfect, exact right thing. Boy, what do you do? You're halfway down a road that's completely goofed up and messy. You don't know what to do. It's hard. I tell you, if you're in the military, other than obvious you know, war crimes and things like that, serve as a good soldier. They asked John the Baptist, if a, if a soldier, what should a soldier do? John told him, well, you know, don't take bribes. <laughs> he told, told him a few things. He didn't say, well, you better get out of the military. He said, just do it, do it right. Do it with good conscience. But we are to operate in the kingdom now. We are to enter the kingdom of God now, live in God's kingdom, and then we get to live in God's kingdom forever. If we refuse to enter into the kingdom of God now, it doesn't matter what technicality you're banking on, it's not going to work. So if you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I was baptized as a baby, so I'm going to go to heaven, right? No. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer, so I'm going to go to heaven, right? Oh, let's, let's get at this one. Okay, because this applies to us. You know, it's one thing to complain about high church people when you're low church people. It's another thing to make sure we're doing it right for how we do it. Amen? Instead of pointing the finger at somebody else and saying, they're not right, let's look at ourselves. You look at you, I'll look at me, and we'll get stronger, and the kingdom will increase. That's how that's supposed to work. So, um, when I first became a pastor, I didn't even know what the sinner's prayer was. Did you know that? I'd not, I had heard people use the terminology, but I, I had never been taught that, because I grew up on the outside, and, uh, and I just read the Bible and stuff, and it's not in there. So, I wasn't sure what these people were talking about. But the sinner's prayer is a good thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, repent. I found out later, oh, it's repent and follow me. Yeah, that's in there. You know, it's the repent thing and it's the follow Christ thing. So great. And just make it in a prayer and, and commit yourself to the, the Lord that way. But uh, that can even get distorted. 
Uh, if you remember the Great Northern Fall Fest, how many people participated in that in any way? About six or however many years ago, there was a, a big evangelistic push up north, and uh, they had the evangelist come and speak, and he went to different towns and did all this stuff, and you know how it is. You come and you fill out your card when you come up front, and you hand in the card, and then somebody has to call you. Well, I was one of the people that called, and I got four cards for my area. Four people filled out cards, and I thought, oh, that's great. Two of them I already knew. This is a small town. Well, I had a large area geographically, but two of them I already knew. So they were easy to follow up on. Two of them I didn't know. The two that I didn't know, when I called them, you know, you go through the little spiel and you say, boy, I'm sure glad you made a decision to follow Christ. You know, I would really like to be able to be a resource for you and help you grow in your faith and and be able to develop your relationship with the Lord and, and just help you through this process. And their response was basically, hey, leave me alone. I did the thing the guy told me to do. Quit bothering me. That was 50% of the, of the people I called and followed up on who got saved. I tell you, you bring that card on judgment day, it isn't going to do you any good. You know what I mean? Hold up the little, I filled out the card. He's going to be like, card? what? What card? It's not going to matter. We either enter the kingdom now when the opportunity is there, or we are refusing the kingdom. I would encourage you to enter the kingdom now. But don't we so often want to enter the kingdom later? I got some stuff I want to do first. I got some things I want to do because I got not, I don't have a good enough testimony. I want to I want to hit rock bottom first, and then I'll give my life to Christ. Is that helpful? All that does is hurt you. That's a lie. All these things that seem so appealing are things that do us damage. Let's not go down that road. Let's not walk there into knowingly walking away from God. That is extremely dangerous. As we go through the series, we're going to talk about people who were surprised. Again, people who were surprised that they didn't get in. And those are them. The ones who are putting it off are ones who don't get in. All right. Did you know that Jesus expects you to give your life to Him? Have you heard that before? The YWAM people, when they do theirs, they, they describe it as an exchange. They say, okay, now I've got, I've got this, and Shelby has this. They use pens too, so I'm doing, I'm doing the YWAM thing super good. So they say, Jesus has this, a life where you're forgiven, where you have a place in the body, where you have purpose. You've got that, which has got sin on it and all the mess and everything like that. And he says, I'll switch you. I'll trade it. You give, you give your life to me, and I'll give you this new life, a different one that you can have. That's for you. We are to give our life to Christ. I think we hear that sometimes, so many times, we just lo- it loses its meaning. 
You know, have you ever repeated a word enough times and then it just like sounds funny? Like it just doesn't mean anything anymore? Let's say this in a different way so that maybe we can get to the meat of it. Let's say Jesus didn't expect you to give your whole life to him, but just one day. Wouldn't that be very reasonable? Just give Jesus one day. You don't have to give him your whole life. Just one day. Here's the question. What would that day be like? What would you do on that day? What would you avoid on that day? If you were to just give Jesus one day, what would that day be like? How would you talk to your kids on the day that you gave to Jesus? How would you treat your employer on the day you gave to Jesus? How would you work your relationships on the day you gave to Jesus? If there was a church service on the day you gave to Jesus, would you go? Would you pray on that day? Would you, would you worship on that day? One of the things that, you know, for, for pastors, and up north it's especially tough because people are behind their little, you know what I mean? You can be worshiping God all out and doing this. I mean, we're, we're up north. This can be absolute profound moment with God, you know, and it's like this. And so you don't want to, you don't want to make an assumption that nothing's going on when somebody's just, I used to have huge moments with God during worship. I was sitting down, just sitting there, not even looking up. If somebody saw me, they'd think, this, this kid doesn't want to be here. I was having, I was having a time with God. So I don't, want to, I don't want to say that there has to be an outward appearance. But during worship, during the song time, if you gave that 20 minutes to Jesus and said, use me how you want, I'm giving this to you, rather than just waiting it out. You know, well, it'll be over soon. I kind of like that song, but, you know, that sort of deal. If we actually worshiped and connected with God 100%, that would be something. If we gave Jesus one day, what would that day be like? Now, of course, we're supposed to give Him our entire life. And then it has to be manageable. Do you know Jesus isn't unreasonable? He also said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, if we actually gave him one day, he would still expect us to get our eight hours of sleep. Did you know that? He would still expect us to eat three square meals a day, be, you know, go to the gym, get some exercise, you know, hang out, spend some time with the kids, stuff like that. It would be reasonable. It would be manageable. Especially when you give your whole life. Because you're going to have to sleep in there sometime. You know, it's not just pray 24-7. We kind of talked about that last week. That constant prayer, being in an attitude of prayer, is very, very important. But you don't just need to be on your knees at the altar 24-7. We want to walk with God, be in His kingdom, live a wise, victorious life. So, how do we find... Fullness of life here and forevermore. How do we find 
this life that's on the narrow road. Thomas asked Jesus this question after he promised it to him. The word that Kay brought, we're going to read those scriptures in John uh, 14. And Jesus is saying, hey, now remember the wide and narrow, he's talking to the masses. He's talking to the crowd that gathered. Here he's talking to his circle, to the believers. He speaks differently to each group. Let's go to uh, John 14. Here's what it says. Jesus is preparing his disciples for for Jesus' departure. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's going to be crucified shortly. And he says to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. How reasonable is that? He's telling them, hey, it's going to look really, really scary. Don't be scared. I've got it. That's what he's saying. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now Thomas thinks to himself, I don't think I do. That sounds really nice, but I'm not sure what you mean. Thomas, I like Thomas. He was willing to say the stuff that everybody else was thinking. Peter did the same thing. He got himself in more trouble than Thomas did. Thomas got in some. But here we go, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We don't know what this narrow road is. We don't understand how we can find that life we, it sounds good, but we don't understand exactly what you mean. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you walk in my ways, if you come with me, you will end up where I'm going. If you follow me, you will end up where I'm going. Jesus is the way. I want to make this really, really simple. So I'm going to give you a formula. Have you heard people say, it's not about a formula? Well, of course. It's not about... It's not about trying to make it in on a technicality. Did you know you can't make it in on a technicality? The good news is you won't get kicked out on a technicality either, so just relax. You know, it's not about what you wore to church. It's like, oh no, I wore the wrong thing, I'm out. Ah." Or, you know, oh, I said the wrong thing when I prayed, I didn't finish it the right way. Ah, Just relax. You're not going to get thrown out on a technicality, but you're not going to get in on a technicality either. You've got to be real. Here's your formula. If you want to know whether or not you're in, if you want to know whether or not you're on the right road and getting where we're going, I'm going to give you three steps. Number one, believe. Believe God is real and that God is good. I have studied out the theoretical physics of it, and it is very reasonable to believe that God is actually real. 
It's not just nice little fairy tales that get us through the day. This is actually real. There, there is a spirit realm beyond our realm. This is actually real. God actually is. So, believe that God is and that God is good. Now, that's not sufficient because the, the demons believe in God. The demons believe God is. That's not going to do it. So, believe God is, and then you have to look at yourself and you repent. Okay, repent, the, the word, it, it means to turn. What it means is, I'm living my life, I am doing my thing, but I am going to turn to Jesus. I am going to give it to Him. I'm going to exchange my life for what He has for me. I'm going to turn away from my sins. I'm going to turn away from this kingdom. And I'm going to enter into that kingdom. Repent. If you don't feel like you're good enough to enter into the kingdom of God, the blood of Christ makes you good enough. If you want in, the door is open. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter the depth of your sin. It doesn't matter how much you don't like yourself. God likes you. He wants you in. And Jesus demonstrated that by dying on the cross for your sins so that you could make the choice to come in, to repent and go into the kingdom. Believe, repent, and then follow Christ. That's your formula. Believe, Repent and then follow. We just start when we repent. We just start when we pray the sinner's prayer. When we get born again, we're just beginning a new life. Walk that life. Live in the kingdom now and you will live in the kingdom forever. We're going to take communion today. I'm going to ask the people to come forward and uh, distribute the communion elements. Also, I'm going to have the prayer team come forward, who is... uh, That's a whole separate group. Look at that. Very fancy. Very, very nice. Even though we are part of the low church group, we're the casual ones, and we tell people all the time that Jesus loves them. I still, I still think some people are under the impression that God really doesn't want them. That is just simply not the case. God does want you. And He demonstrated how much He wants you. Jesus showed how much He wants you by coming to this earth, by being falsely accused, scourged, and crucified, our sin is actually put on Christ and is destroyed. And we are set free from our own sin. And this is what we remember in communion. I'm going to read, I'm going to read Romans 5, 9, and 10 as the elements are being passed out, says this. Paul is talking about this particular topic of are we saved? Are we in? How does this work? 
And he said, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, how does God treat his enemies? How does Jesus treat his enemies? He said, well, I know you don't like me right now, but I'm going to make a sacrifice for you because I love you and I want you to have a chance. Even though you want to hurt me, I want to help you. Jesus, when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of Christ. That's how he treats his enemies. The door is open. You are not too far gone. You are not unwanted by God. In fact, again, Jesus didn't just decide to put up with you. He had to make a huge sacrifice for you specifically. I believe in the infinite capacity of God. I believe when Jesus was on the cross, now I, I don't have a scripture for this, I believe He was conscious of you and me and billions of people at the same time. However that works. God. Conscious of you one drop of blood, one bead of sweat, one step carrying the cross, one of those things was for you. He wants you in His kingdom. There is no reason not to accept it. Our God is good. It's abundant life now. It's eternal life later. It's not hard. The enemy will lie and say, hey, don't, don't go there. But our God is good. He, is, he wants what's best for us and He loves us and wants us in. So as we partake of communion today, let's believe, let's repent, and let's walk away from here following Christ. So let's pray and we'll receive together after we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and mercy. I thank You, Lord, that the door is open for each one of us, that we don't need to fear, we don't need to be worried about Your wrath because we can be perfectly forgiven and then we can walk in Your ways, endeavoring to grow in You day by day as time goes on. But Lord, also, let us not take You for granted. Let us not misunderstand the situation and put You off. But instead, let us believe. We know You are good. We know You are real. Let us ask for forgiveness, humble ourselves before You, acknowledging, I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be in Your kingdom, but You have made me worthy. Thank You for that. And Lord, we know You are the way, the truth, and the life. If we follow You, You will lead us where we need to go. We give our lives to You, not just a few moments here and there, but we release ourselves to you. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ.
which was broken for you. And this is the, the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I'm going to close. The prayer team is up here. If you have a prayer need, come forward. Receive individual prayer. Otherwise, if you're going to be heading out, say hi and encourage somebody on the way, but let me just release you. Heavenly Father, I just pray blessings over each one that's in this place right now. Let your spirit go with us. Let us walk in your ways. Let your light shine in our hearts and shine in our worlds wherever we go, whatever nook or cranny in this planet that we go to this week. Lord, let your light shine through us as we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.